Just before we, we launch into that, um, I just thought I'd use this opportunity just to, because we're not together very often, just to talk about two or three things that I think are really um, like big parts of the framework going forward at the moment, just to try and, I'm trying to sort of share this wherever we are at the moment, wherever we get leaders together, just to sort of help just reinforce things that are important. So the first one would be just to encourage you about the enough prayer meetings. We're, we're really so thrilled with what God is doing there and somewhat surprised, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, don't, I don't know why we're surprised, but there's probably more to do with just, just not really anticipating corporate prayer to quite take off the way it has. But I'm convinced even us being here today and the development that, that even if you, those of you were the one two years ago in um, Burkle, which was a great time, but just to see what's happened in two years, uh, that is only prayer. I mean, it is. We sitting here today is the result of prayer. So corporate prayer really is the engine room and needs to become even more the engine room of all that we are doing. So even if you're planting and there's just a living room full of you, you can still connect into enough, either by live stream or Skyping into partner churches, or by just doing it with your church plant. You know, you have all the materials and the rest of it. We just do really think that keep pressing on with this is going to be so important. As many of you know, um, Edward Burrier and his sphere of churches are now partnering with us, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, they waded in with 4,000 people, uh, the last one. So there was about 6,500 of us praying uh, together across, um, you know, many places. And I'm now getting inquiries, significant inquiries from the United States, from New Zealand, from all, literally, we could end up having a, 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 an enough that goes 24 hours, um, which would be amazing, you know. And... Uh, what we're wanting to do from 2018 is to really release it to anyone who wants it. So we'll still retain our kind of three dates. So it's the explicit agreement, visible union, extraordinary prayer. There'll be three dates each year, 2018, 2019. But we're saying to partner churches who want to come in with us, there's different ways you can partner with us. And I won't go into all the details of that. But I'm really praying and saying, Lord, would you give us 20,000 people? As I, I, I honestly, I think we, we are, when God starts to move his people to pray, that's because he's going to bring something. This isn't just something to do on a Friday evening, because it's hard, it's hard work, isn't it? Uh, and those of you who stick there right till the 11 o'clock, you know, you, know, you know that you're the ones that are there right till the end. Um, but I honestly believe with all my heart, if, if we invest... If we invest in enough again and again and again, then in 10, 20 years, we'll look back on it and say, that was the thing that gave us multiple church plants in multiple nations and saw tens of thousands of people coming to Christ. Because at the end of the day, we're here to get people saved. And prayer is the thing that unlocks people's hearts. We need God to soften people's hearts. And that only happens through prayer. Because we can't soften people's hearts. We can tell them the gospel, but if seed falls on hard ground... It doesn't take root. Prayer softens people's hearts. So if you imagine all the people around where you are living uh, that you're trying to reach, if we think about Malaga and the prayer walk tomorrow, pray, God, soften hearts, soften hearts, soften hearts, so that when the seed falls on the ground, goes in. And So enough is a massively important thing. So let's keep going for that uh, together. Next, the, the Courage Conference, which you will have heard us refer to. You know we have a leadership conference biannually. 
which has been in Norwich. Norwich is kind of in East Anglia, where, which has really been our heartland for 25 years or more as we sort of uh, grew up there, as I suppose, and, 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 and learnt, learnt you know, some things there. I felt, I'll cut a long story short, I felt the Lord say to me, we needed to move to London so that we are not defined as a provincial movement. That there's something about us moving to London that makes us more accessible, more visible, and more um, uh, equidistant somehow. And it was a bit of a journey for me. I, I will tell you just a brief summary of it because that's why we've called the conference Courage. I, I said to James, who, uh, as you know, does really is the engine room of all the organizational stuff behind RM, along with Mark and various other wonderful teams. We have some incredible people we have serving us. We really do in terms of making stuff happen. But James, I said to him, how long have I got to make this decision? Because we had this building in London we can use. And I said, how long have I got to decide? And he said, two weeks. And I said, oh, that's fine. I'll pray. I'm sure in two weeks the Lord will tell us what to do. That's fine. We'll go for it. I'll let you know. Give me two weeks. Anyway, I started to pray. And it was one of those moments when you know heaven has gone silent. It was complete like tumbleweed moment of just zero absence of any word from God at all. Absence even of him. I felt his deliberate ignoring of my request it was it was it was more than just well I'll let you know it was I'm not into I'm not talking to you about that and I thought what are you doing this I've got two weeks so I got to the end of the two weeks and still nothing from heaven at all zero zilch silence nothing uh, and I thought well I've got to make a decision so I thought what do I want to do and I thought I want to go for this so I said to James go for it go for it, we'll do it, we'll do it. Uh, and I just, I just made the decision. Anyway, two days after that, Adrian Horner, who's a prophetic ministry in, in the catalyst sphere, he, he um, sends me a WhatsApp message and says, oh, I've been on holiday for two weeks and I had a word for you two weeks ago, but I haven't got around to sending it to you. I mean, yeah, seriously, seriously. And then he, be he begins to, in detail, describe the building and a move. God wanting you to move. There's a, there's a move coming, a relocation in order for more. I mean, it was, it was utterly extraordinary. And I phoned him up and I, I just wanted to know a little bit more. Uh, and he said, I can see light coming in and light going out. He says, I don't know what it means, but light coming in, light going out. Now, the building we're meeting in is, is called Friends House, which is a great place for relational mission, isn't it? Friends House. It's a thousand-seater uh, right in the heart of, you come out of um, the Eurostar uh, and Euston Station, it's right in front of you. So it's, it's really prominent. But the actual room we're going to be meeting in is called the Light. And it's got a, 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 an atrium where the light literally comes in from, through the roof. And then you, it goes out of the, you know, there's the four corners of the, of the room. It's, it's everything he described, it is. And I said to the Lord, why didn't you tell me? Uh, <laughs> And he said very clearly, he said to me, I wanted you to have guts to make a decision without me telling you what to do. And it was almost like, now we value the prophetic, don't mishear me, but sometimes God wants to bring out of our hearts what's in there because he's put it in there. We don't need a word. We just need courage to do it. And I had to have courage to do something. And then God started to speak prophetically about the conference and we came up with the name Courage because I think it's actually about all of us looking at the world around us and thinking, Lord, we really can't keep waiting for you to tell us everything to do. We've just got to get out there and just go with what you've put in our gut. 
So I think there's something that God's doing in us. He started it in me through a slightly painful situation. But, you know, I, I, I learned. All right, I've learned. So, so I think, no, there's something in this for us. So we want to try and make it easy for all of you pioneers to get there. So we're going to try everything we can. We want to hear from you as to what will make it easy for you in terms of accommodation and all that kind of stuff. So Anise, uh, where is Anise? Just wave at the, Anise at the back there is organizing the whole conference. Lord bless her, help her, give her mercy. Uh, and so please talk to her during this time here. Just say what would help you if you're coming from the Netherlands or Germany or Finland or anywhere else uh, and it would re what would help you? What would be a barrier to you attending? We will do everything we can. Uh, I want to see that place full of a thousand people <laughs> And we're bringing the 20s and the cent lot in with us. So it's leaders and the 20s and students. And the reason I'm doing that is that Paul McConaughey, who some of you know is a dear friend, I said to him, when you look in at RM, tell me some things that you think we need to do next. And he, he gave me two or three things. But one of them, he said, was this. He said, I think you need to bring your emerging generation right alongside your existing generation of leadership because they will catch your DNA on the journey and then they'll be ready to take it on beyond you. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is proximity, by keep having them around you and among you. So we thought, let's bring the whole thing together. So we've got 20 students and existing leaders catching God's heart for global impact as much as God assigns a field to us. So that's what we're doing. And I trust that I won't be the only one there. You know, that's how I felt about enough. I thought, well, me and Sue will be there, but I don't know if anyone else will turn up. And lo and behold, 2,000 people turned up. So we're trusting God will do that. And the last thing is just about the book which Morris referred to. The reason we did the book is to try and help your people understand what it is that missionally we're going for. This doesn't give the book, Relational Mission and Way of Life, doesn't give the nine values that are historic New Frontiers values. We're assuming those. This is our manifesto for the way forward. And some churches have turned it into like a seven-week preaching series so that everyone's trying to get it. Some people are, are giving it at their membership courses so that people coming into the church can just read our journey, our history, know where we're going. If you're on a church planting situation, give it to people who are joining you because it will help them understand what it is you're part of. And because we're geographically spread out a lot, to actually have something that people can read that's a bit of a story, I think actually is more relational than just giving people a vision statement. It's a story. Uh, so I'd encourage you. We've got, we've, I say we got rid of, that doesn't sound quite right. We've sold about uh, <laughs> two and a half thousand of these so far which is great. And my, my prayer was, Lord, I want one of these in the hands of everybody in relational mission so that everybody's kind of on the same page in terms of where we're going. So please do make use of that. We've just had it translated into Dutch, which is fantastic because now it can get right around the Dutch churches. And if your nation wants it in your language, let us know and we'll see what we can do. I had a businessman come up to me recently saying, I will be happy to try and help pay for any translation to any language you want doing. So there you go, uh, on a plate for you. So anyway, um, so God's doing some good stuff, isn't he? Yeah. That's exciting. So uh, let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 1, which is even more exciting. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And, the, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. 
And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven or sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas. And God saw this is good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw this is good. And it was evening and morning the third day. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for years and day, sorry, days and years. And let them, let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Just kind of a throwaway, you know, and the stars, the rest of the universe. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw this is good. And it was evening and there was morning the fourth day. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw this is good. And God blessed them and say, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things. I had one of those in my bathroom this morning, actually, a creeping thing. I hit it with my shoe. And beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw it was good. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every fruit, every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it 
God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Amen. Lord, I pray you just help us uh, this afternoon as we just look together at this, uh, the principles we can learn from what you have made. Lord, let what is natural speak into the spiritual. Just want to ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would bless us in your word together now. I pray, Holy Spirit, take whatever is from you in what I've prepared and apply it. Help us to, to rest and give time to it. Help us to move on from other things that are just my thoughts and not for now. Holy Spirit, I would love you to just brood and hover upon this uh, meeting, bringing life and goodness and, and fruitfulness through your word. Lord, uh, we're, we're helpless, Lord, without you. It's just me talking unless you come. So please, Holy Spirit, would you come? Speak to me. Speak to all of us. Your word is wonderful. Your word liberates us. It's a wonderful thing to have your word and to, to, it shows us what you're like and what you, how you feel and how you think and how you behave. And we love it when we see glimpses of you. We're, we're fascinated with you, Lord. And I pray that you'd help us this afternoon just to have just even greater glimpse of how incredibly wonderful you are. Uh, and how you ask us to be in your image in the way that we do things. So help us, Lord, uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So really, I, I'm just going to try and pick a few thoughts from this. Um, time may not allow us to go into too much detail, but we'll just kind of see, see how we go. And the, the thinking behind this, as I've called this session, is um, uh, let there be. So it's, it's pioneering principles that we can see in creation because as Paul talks about in Corinthians he says first the natural then the spiritual there are things that we can look at in the created world in the way that God works in the way that the world works there are things that are what we might call natural that because they're, they're, they're not actually natural they're still they're still miraculous because God made them but there are things that we can look at and we can learn from things that God has made in the natural how God wants us to function in the spiritual and I think when it comes to church planting, uh, we can learn a lot from the pioneering principles that we see in creation. So I'm just going to pick a few thoughts out from what we've read that hopefully will help all of us on the journeys that we're, that we're on. And the first one is uh, in verses uh, 1 to 3, we find that there is um, a calling forth from heaven. There's, there's God, God calls something into being. He says let there be. He makes these pronouncements. And the first point to make really is this, we are not creators, we are stewards. We, we do not make anything happen, God does. He said, let there be and there was. The kingdom is not an acquisition, it is a gift. We are given the gift, the keys to the kingdom. We, we've been given something, we didn't acquire them, we didn't buy them, we're not, we haven't earned them. And there's, there's something important for us to understand this, that in verse 2 it says, in the beginning God was, the Spirit was hovering over the face of the, uh, of the waters. Let me say this, God is brooding and hovering over your city, your town, your village, your nation, and other nations and places where as yet we are not represented God is hovering, the Spirit of God is hovering in the same way as he hovered over the face of the waters before anything was called into being. He hovered with intent. God is hovering with intent over mainland Europe. 
He's hovering with intent. And days will come when he will say, let there be. Let there be. Let there be. And we get to just steward what he calls forth. Now that is so vital we understand that. And that we understand also that it's leading towards something. In Isaiah chapter 2 verse 2 it says, In the last days the mountain of the Lord will be established as chief among the mountains on the earth. And many peoples, many nations will see it and say, Come, let us go up to the house of the Lord. In other words... That's pictorially speaking about the end time church, which although the darkness is going to get darker and we live in a world where darkness is multiplying all the time, we live in very fearful times. If people don't know the Lord, I don't know how they manage, to be perfectly honest. And it's going to get worse. But as it gets darker, do you know what? The light is going to get lighter. The church is going to become such a stark contrast to everything else that its visibility, this mountainous Uh, creation of God in the earth is going to dominate the landscape because God has called it forth. We know that's going to happen, not because it's likely or probable or because the cultural conditions are moving towards a a rediscovery of religion and spirituality. There's nothing to do with it. It's going to happen because Isaiah saw it and he saw it by revelation. God said, I'm going to do that. So whenever we're involved in church planting, in apostolic mission, we are engaged in something we know how it's going to end because God has been hovering over the generations and has been speaking forth and will continue to speak forth life over all the earth. God already had in mind all the places that he would reach with the gospel. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 6. We might plant, one might plant, one might water, but only God makes it grow. It's this life-giving thing that is God's unique right, God's unique um, uh, ability to do that. And it's a church planting, I once heard someone say that they, they were listening to people discussing the resurrection on the radio, and some uh, learned person said, well, I think the resurrection is highly improbable. To which the answer is, no, it's not highly improbable. It's completely impossible. That's the whole point. God has done something that cannot be done. He's raised a a dead man to life. And there's this ability of God to be not constrained by the fact that when he made the world, it's like God is a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat without a rabbit or a hat. He, he had nothing to begin with, and yet he still did it. And somehow within us, there needs to be, very similar to what Chris was saying in the previous uh, session, something within us has got to think, no, we are simply stewards of someone else's creative ability. We are not called to speak, let there be. We are called to listen where he says, let there be, and then steward it. The wonder of creation is that God made it all and then said, Oh, let's make man to help us multiply it. We are called up in something that God has started. I love um, uh, the writings of Dallas Willard. Any of you familiar with Dallas Willard stuff? And unfortunately, he's gone gone to glory now. But there's one little YouTube clip which I absolutely love, uh, which you you can look uh, look at later. Not now, because I'll be able to see who's looking at it, right? Uh, And uh, he's he's asked the question. It's a little five-minute clip. He's asked the question, how would you describe Jesus' ministry style? And Dallas Willard in his very sort of laid-back voice, well, I think I would use one word to describe Jesus' 
relaxed. And I thought, relaxed? And he said, yeah, he said that. He knew he had to rely on his father to do everything he called him to do. And so he went through his life relying on the father, just doing what the father told him to do. He was relaxed about it. He knew that he was fulfilling what he was sent to do. And there's something about us when we're pioneering, having this beautiful attitude, the same as Jesus, that our father has called us to bear much fruit. He really has. I, I, I don't lay awake at night thinking, oh, Lord, how are we going to make relational mission work? How is, how is it all going to work? It's not my idea. It's his idea. We're just being stewards with what he's invited us to partner with him in. We get to join in. It's fun. It's tremendous. We shouldn't ever take on the role of feeling that somehow we are the creator. The next thing just to learn from this is we notice, so firstly there's a calling forth. The next thing is there is an ordered sequence to creation. In verse 3, there's the creation of light and dark. In verse 8 to 10, it talks about the creation of the heavens and the earth. So there's a difference between the sky and the earth and the seas. And then in verse 12, vegetation appears. And then after the vegetation, there is a swarming with swarming things. Or swarming with living creatures. The point is that there had to be ground for animals to walk on. There had to be vegetation for the animals to eat. There is a very logical progression to the way God's creation works. Now, if you apply that to a church planting and a pioneering mindset, it looks like this. Who you are must go in before what you do. So our values, the things that we, the, the, the ground as it were, we've got, to, we've got to put the big things in first. What are the main things? What's the foundational culture? What are the doctrines that are closed hand? There are open hand things where we might have different opinions on certain things, but there are certain closed hand things. So the authority of scripture, it's a closed hand. You can't plant a church with a group of people who are open to the fact that the Bible might not be true anymore. You know, that's, 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 there's no earth there. You're just going to sink, right? There's no earth for the animals to run on. It's, it's a closed hand issue. So we've got to make sure that the big doctrines, the big values, the big, the big foundations are in place before we start multiplying lots of things. So big values, the authority of Scripture, belief in prayer, building churches more around prayer. There's, I would suggest that actually, if you look at the New Testament, Church is built around prayer before it's built around mission, right? Now, they play off against each other, but you, won't be, you cannot separate them. Whenever, whenever they got into difficulty, they prayed, mission resulted. Whenever they stepped out in mission, something happened and they ended up praying. You, there's big things that have to go in. Evangelistic culture, a love of word and spirit, a grace-filled atmosphere, not legalistic, but grace-filled. The priesthood of all believers, these things... Uh, are really important. We don't believe in hierarchy in church. We are all priests. Everyone, we are all priests. We're all able to minister before God. Right? There's, there's no levels. That, that's, a, that's a big rock in the bucket. That we're building a culture that says we've not got levels of, of, of spirituality. We are all with unveiled faces to stand before Jesus. So anyone in the congregation at any time, the Spirit of God can come on and they can lead everybody else. 
Now, we might have to organize things a certain way, but Paul, when he was dealing with Corinth, didn't try to shut them down. He just tried to give them a little bit of structure to help manage the life that was there because he believed in a priesthood of all believers. He could have just said, sit down, shut up, let me get you someone in who's an expert. He didn't. He said, come on, let's let everything be done, but let's put it in order. That's, why did he do that? Because the bigger underlying principle to Paul is he believed in a priesthood of all believers. He didn't just want organized, seeker-sensitive meetings. He wanted a priesthood that was fully functioning. So he tried to just adjust it to make it, make it helpful rather than shut it down to make it safe. Do you understand the difference? So why did he do that? Because he knew there was a foundation that had to go in first. So we've got to, we've got to put things in place so that every other aspect of life can then flourish because it's got some earth to stand on. The vegetation can grow if it's on good ground. The swarming things have got something to eat. You might think, my church is full of swarming things. They, they've got something to eat if you're giving them, if you've got some, some good vegetation there. So there is a proper order to these things. Um, there is a, in verse 14, it said, uh, God, uh, let there be lights in the expanse of heaven to separate day and night and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years. So we find there that there's a, there's a management of the growth that God puts in place. So, so when, when there's an, we talk about an ordered sequence to creation, we find that God just doesn't do everything all at once. There's, there's rhythm to it. There's a process to it. There's day, there's night, there's seasons he puts in place. And I would suggest with church planting, we need to put in annual rhythms, rhythms of, of grace-filled life. So you remember the old uh, images of a harvest with a, with a sickle, yeah, with a scythe? Any of you know what that is? Right, where you go through a, a field before the days of combine harvesting, and you go, you go through the field by hand. Now, you've got to have a right rhythm to that. Otherwise, you're just hacking about and tiring yourself and everybody else out. There has to be a rhythm that you put in place. And God put a rhythm in to do with creation. There's day, there's night, there's summer, there's winter, there's autumn, there's spring. There's, there's a rhythm to how the world works. There is a rhythm to how church, plant, church planting begins to emerge and develop. First the natural, then the spiritual. So we plan, just very practically, plan your year. Think through the year. Don't try and do everything at once. Just plan your way through it. Think, right, okay, what is the best time of year for this activity? I was talking to Hugh. Now, this is a great example of, of, of a good rhythm. You know what I'm going to say yet, do you? No. Um, Hugh being in a, in a, a, a university town, so a city, so... Um, really works to October being the time he's going to really target new, new students, right? So how big, was your, how big is your church plant um, without the students? Uh, 40. 30. So you've got about 30 adults without any students. This last Sunday, last Sunday, because Hugh timed the, the sickle, he timed it well, he had 27 students wanting lifts to church that Sunday which is almost the same size as the church. Now, if he'd have done that in, I don't know, February, not, not so good. So there is a principle to learn here that 
God himself established rhythms. He put the ground, then he put the vegetation, then he put the animals. Then he, you know, it all worked in a way that can um, make our, our stewarding uh, much easier. Then the next principle, in verse 8, we find it says, there was uh, evening and there was morning the second day. Next principle to bring out of this is simply this. God didn't do it all in one day, neither can we. Really, really you can't. Uh, uh, Please don't try. And uh, this has been said in many contexts, we can overestimate what we can do in one year and we can underestimate what we can do in five. That is very true. So if God blesses us with long life and trust he will, we have got a lifetime to do this. Right? It doesn't all have to be achieved by next summer. It is, it is a lifetime's work of fruitfulness, isn't it? Life, and, and if you apply it to your own life, most of our growth in God and our life in God takes place slowly, doesn't it? Do you, how many people would, you know, we, we grow slowly in God. We learn things slowly. He deals with us rhythmically and carefully and patiently like a father does with children. There is a, there's a family way of God dealing with us where he nurtures us and trains us and protects us and helps us. And he helps us have time to learn by mistakes as well as learn by successes. So we must copy how God deals with us in terms of how we apply what God has our activity to what God has asked us to do. There was a second day, there was a third day, a fourth day, a fifth day, sixth day, etc., etc. God didn't do it all in one go. It takes a lifetime to be fruitful because God wants us to be very fruitful. I'm trusting that God willing, I'm going to be bearing fruit right up to my last day. Isn't that what you want as well? That we're bearing, and I'm really pleased that the more books I read about these things, it tells you in your second half of life, you're actually more useful than you were in your first half of life. Why? Because you've made enough mistakes to know better, and you're a little bit more cautious and careful and wise about what you actually do. So as far as I'm concerned, if you're over 40, you've just matured into vintage where you can be useful now. Uh, most Most people, it says make their biggest contribution in life between the ages of 50 and 70 across all domains of, of life, right? I'm feeling really, this is more, Lord, please. We're going for it. You're with me, aren't you? So it's about being patient. It's about measuring and... Uh, you, do you know there's an atmosphere of smiles and happiness come across large sections of the room? If only I could give you a verse for it, we'd be all right. But it's just a study, all right? Then we find in verse 11 to 12, it says, there, there is a, a variety of kind. Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed. Loads and loads of different kinds of plants. An abundance, a variety. What's happening now? Now he's got, now he's got ground and vegetation of some kind or other. And then lots of animals, and they can all, you know, begin to live. Now there's an expansion. There's a variety of kind. There's all sorts of stuff sprouting up on the earth. What I would say is this. To get to that, God had to to get the the rocks in place. He had to get the, the important things in place in the right order. And then 
it began to multiply. One of, one of the churches that we were involved in planting some, some many years ago now, I thought did a very clever thing. There was about, say, 30 people who went to plant this church. And from day one, they just did Alpha. That's all they did. Now, I'm not saying everyone should just do Alpha. Um, it worked in their context. The point was the whole church got involved, the whole church plant got involved in Alpha. So some people were doing the cooking, some people were praying about it, some people were inviting guests, some were table leaders, some set up the vet. Every single person in the church plant was involved in Alpha. And they just did Alpha and they just had a prayer meeting and they had a Sunday meeting. Those they didn't do anything else. They did nothing else for two years. And in the first 18 months, 72 people gave their lives to Christ. Now, the reason that happened is because they put in simple uh, foundational culture and, and activity at the beginning. Now, after that, it then, when they got that kind of number of people, you needed more kinds of vegetation. You needed your discipleship groups. You needed your cell groups. You needed your work with the poor. You needed your worship team. You needed your pastoral team. You needed your children's work. You needed your student work. An abundance of vegetation was necessary, but they started by getting, getting the life cycle right. If they'd have started by trying to launch 12 programs all in one go, I don't think it would have worked. Now, there's a simple lesson here. I'm just saying, just look at how God did it when he made the world. He just put a few basic things in place first, out of which then a whole expansion took place. As the church grows and as diversity comes, we're not looking for chaos, but your role in leadership, if you're planting a church, will move from probably being a, a bit of a, a solo player to being more of a conductor of an orchestra. So you're trying to just bring out the different gifts and graces that there are in your church plant. It's just, it's just a changing, shifting thing that begins to be noticed. And there's, it took until verse 22 of chapter 1 bef before God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the, and the skies and the earth. Right, it's 22 verses of careful, planned, um, fairly uh, big things before suddenly 22, a big multiplication of fruitfulness. I think often, just my observation of church plants is um, where they've not worked well, it's because people have tried to do too much too quick. And we can learn from God that he just did some big things, important things first, and then when that was beginning to flourish, then you can begin to let all the creativity of the congregation uh, looser uh, and, and give, give, um, give, give leadership to that. Um, Morris mentioned about um, the richness of, of producing after your own kind, so I, I don't particularly want to comment on that too much other than just to say, uh, in verse 22, it, it talks about multiplication of, of um, your own kind. The obvious point being within creation, you know, elephants don't produce giraffes. You know, you can't produce what you're not. And I do think that not just in church planting, but in any kind of church leadership, there are strengths that each of us have, and there are weaknesses that each of us have. And it's right that we disciple people 
but it is also inevitable we will disciple people into our blind spots. It's inevitable. So there's things I know I'm graced for, but there are things I don't, I, there are things I know I'm not good at, but there are also, more worryingly, things I don't know I'm not good at. And it's more those that are the trouble, because you can end up discipling people into problems and you don't even know you're doing it. Right? So we need, we need breadth, we need team, we need to, I, I love to, uh, this phrase, staff your weaknesses. Know what you're good at and then, then pray in and ask for God to complement the things that you're not particularly good at. So we can, we've got to run in our lane. We've got to be who we are, not try and be everything to everyone. There are certain things I know I can't do very well, but I, 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 one of the things I think God has given me grace to do is to find people who are good at what I'm not good at doing. And that's, I'm very thankful for that because that always then ends up making me look much better than I actually am, <laughs> which, which when you're planting a church, you want, you want people to think, oh, this is functioning. As long as they know from the beginning, it's nothing to do with you. It's the fact that there is a variety of kind that is producing the health and the balance and the perspective and the maturity. It really is a team effort. So we need each other's gifts. We need each other's personalities. We need each other's perspectives. Um, you cannot populate the world with one kind. <laughs> it would be rather, Noah would have had a rather boring you know, ark. So just, well, the animal came in with its friend, you know, the end. You know, no, there was, you know, there, there was a whole abundance of stuff because God loves variety and we're all different. And he's first the natural, then the spiritual. It's very much the same with how things work in, in church life. Then I want you to notice that um, in uh, verse 26, 27, God then makes mankind, makes man and woman. And we find here what I've called an emergence of leadership. Now, what's interesting to me is that leadership emerges after a problem emerges. You find that also in Acts chapter 6, as the church was growing, a complaint arose. Now, there is a tendency on us, particularly in the Western world, to take on board in some, what can be a business mindset which says to us, if you're going to be successful, you've got to preempt your problems. Think ahead of your problems, prevent them before they happen. I think that is totally counter to how God works. God gives you problems and then gives you the solution. That is how he brings about leadership. Uh, and it can, be a, it can be counterproductive to not let a church plant feel the pressure sometimes of certain things. In Acts 6, a complaint arose, and because of that, something structural shifted that wouldn't have shifted had the complaint not arose. So our job in terms of leading churches or planting churches is not, repeat, not to keep everybody happy. That is, that is not healthy. Any of you have got a family, is everybody always happy? Don't tell me lies, they're not. Because that's just not how families work. And sometimes when you go through, either with your, your spouse or with your children or with your wider family, you go through those moments of a little bit of tension because there's an issue that's got to be resolved. If handled correctly, those points actually become the greatest springboards to blessing. 
Why? Because maturity takes place, perspective is adjusted, we learn, we listen, we learn to be more, more mature, we learn to see, no, we can't do things the way we've always done them because there's a whole new season we're now in. Learning comes about through problems. It's a good thing. And God creates all these swarming creatures. There's, I mean, goodness knows how many, the earth must have been completely full of all this stuff. And then God says, oh, let's make man in our image. So man is introduced when the problem is there. And God says, now organize it, take dominion, sort it out, be fruitful, and what's more, help it grow over the whole face of the earth. So leadership should always emerge um, out of a sense of need, uh, pressure, um, problems. I mean, it even says in, uh, in Corinthians, Paul's way of handling problems in church, I find very helpful. And, and any of you who get involved in translocal ministries, it's really important to understand this. There's always far too much going on for you to sort out. There always is. So, so don't take the world on your shoulders. Jesus has the world on his shoulders, well, actually in his hands. You know, Jesus is doing that. He will tell you what to do. So Paul, when he's dealing with the Corinthians, he says to them, that's why there's disputes among you so that we can see who's got the favor of God on them. That's a smart man. That's a smart man. He's not even solving the problem. He's just letting them all fall out with each other, taking a couple of steps back and saying, right, now let's see where the maturity is in the room. That's good leadership. Bad leadership is you walk in and say, no, I'm here now, right now, let's sort, you be quiet, you sit down, you stop doing that, I'm here now, we'll do it this way. That might put a plaster over something that's not developing maturity. So don't try to fix everything in your church. Let it get in a mess. And then phone Morris. Yay! No. <laughs> Morris is our secret weapon. But seriously, the worst thing you could do possibly sometimes is to phone Morris. Because what you need to do is simply, and what I need to learn to do, is simply when problems emerge, step back, give God some space to see who has the favor of God on them. Because the people with the favor of God on them will navigate tricky situations with great integrity, maturity, and grace. So you can then entrust them with more responsibility. Yeah? So actually, God introducing man into this situation just shows us that if God wanted to do it the other way around, he would have created man first and said, well, just sit there for a minute, Adam. I'm just going to do a little bit of creating. Just watch this. You know, boom, gazelle. Look at that. That's fun, isn't it? But he didn't. He created it all first and then said, Adam, off you go, my friend. Imagine how you'd have felt if you've got the whole of human history that's been delegated to you and you're surrounded by a whole herd of elephants and you've never seen one before and you don't know how to look after them. You don't know. And God says, yeah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with these elephants and everything else, all these swarming things, I've given them to you. Oh, and by the way, I'm now going to have a day off. See you later. As God rested, it doesn't say anything about Adam resting on the next day. God's saying, Bye. I'm on a day off, mate. So you get the point. Because I find that when you listen to many people who church plant, and I have to say, I think you got, I'm not really not saying, just saying this, I genuinely mean it. 
you guys are heroes, honestly. I, I, I feel honored to be in a room with some of you for just what you do. I, honestly, I think you're incredible. But I want to spare you from trying to be God when you're not supposed to be God. Let him be God. Let it get in a bit of a mess. I mean, look at Acts 6. One lot of widows is complaining against the other lot of widows saying, they're giving us more food than you're, you're getting more food than we are. Now, who wants that in their church? But the apostles didn't sort it out. They said, right, let's find some people who can deal with this and we'll let them deal with it. They didn't rush in. And God has an order to how he does things and we have to learn from that. There is an emergence of leadership as the pressure for leadership happens, which is another reason why um, the way the approach we take to appointing elders is this. Elders emerge, they don't arrive. Right? There's an emergence of grace that everybody can see over a period of time that when you do get to the point of saying to the church, look, these guys we feel, you know, really do seem to have the grace of God on them to, to be elders. How do you feel about that? If we've done it right, most people should say, well, it's about time. We've been saying that for a year. Because there's, we give time to something to let it emerge um, with with weight and maturity. So the last one, I've, 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 I've skipped over a few things just for the sake of time, but the last one is in um, is the principle of rhythm and rest. And, and I just want to make that point that where it says, the heavens and the earth were finished, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he'd done, and he rested. That's good, isn't it? He rested from all the work that he'd done. And he blessed the seventh day. He didn't bless any of the others. He blessed his holiday. God pronounced a blessing on his holiday. Talking about, you know, blessing yourself. <laughs> he said, I'm going to bless this day I'm now having off. There's something, God, God said it's holy. Why is it holy? Well, because it's, uh, well, it's complicated, isn't it? But God's almost like honoring the way that he's able to rest from work. That there's something within the Godhead that just, is able to enjoy all the fullness of God without actually having to do anything. God's being is sufficient for him to call it holy. God is not worthy to be praised because of what he's done. He's worthy to be praised because of who he is. That's why he blessed the Sabbath day. He said, this is holy. Why? Because it's a celebration of who he is. So our, our enjoyment of God must always be because of who he is, not because of what he does in us and through us and among us. Though that is praiseworthy. That's not the fundamental thing. Those are, those are the fruits of who he is. They're not what make him who he is. God is always worthy to be praised. So the principle of rhythm and rest, I just want to apply, apply that in the church planting context to say a cycle of continual harvest is not healthy or heavenly. I said, yeah, but there's lost out there. Yes, and just as then there are also the poor out there. And what's more, Jesus said, you know what? You'll always have the poor with you. But yeah, but we'll, we'll, the world is in need. Yeah, and it'll be in need tomorrow. Even Jesus had a holiday. He said to his disciples, let's go over there and get some rest. People came to him and said, everybody's looking for you. Great, I'm off. There's something within God that refuses to be panicked by need. 
And there's something within us, if we are to be in his image, we must never be driven by the immense needs that are around us. They will be there tomorrow, but if you and I don't have a day off and a holiday, you won't be. You will become one of the people who needs the help. If God needs a day off, guess what? So do we. So learning to have a rhythm, particularly when you're carving something out from nothing, and, and it really all does depend on you. You're putting out the chairs, you're putting up the PowerPoint, you're making all the coffee, you're preaching, you're doing the worship and the kids' work, you're, you're doing everything. Even more reason you need to have good rhythms of holiday, rest, hobbies. Find a hobby. Do something other than talk about church. Please, before you die, you, you will not survive if you don't know how to unwind and enjoy all that God has made for you to enjoy. Jesus did. He invites us to do that. That doesn't mean that we're, oh, well, yeah, well, we're not really, we're not really, you know, passionate about mission. Yes, we are, but I want to be, I want to still be going, God, give me grace, in the next 20 or 30 years. The only way that's going to happen is if I take care of my body, I take care of my marriage, I take care of my family, I take care of my inner walk with God, I have brothers and sisters around me and we enjoy one another's company, that it's not always about task. It's not always about task. Sometimes it's about who we are together and enjoying one another's company just for the sake of the fact that God has blessed us with each other. That's what Sabbath should be, that it's actually sometimes where we just unplug the agenda and we say, do you know what, I really enjoy your company, we haven't got to do anything tonight but let's just go for a nice meal, talk about something or go fishing or do something that you like, yeah, just have a rhythm of rest, longevity has to be built in. So one of the things I've started to do the last number of years is I take January as, as a time I don't preach, I don't have any meetings, I, I, I spend January as my kind of yearly cycle where I, I read, I go and meet people I've not met before, people I think I can, who can help me, I pray more, I, I, I do some recreational things, I do stuff just that helps me hear God for the coming year so that I feel I'm maybe useful to people. January, no, not everyone's got the ability to, to do, do it like that. I've only been able to do it in the last few years, but I've always tried to make sure I've built in a rhythm of rest and, 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 you know, and if I've not been very good at it, then my wife's very good at it, saying to me, you need to stop now. And I say, yes, you're right. So I just want to encourage you, particularly when you're in church planting, just have times when you are not accessible. You're not accessible. Turn your phone off. When, if you go on holiday, have another phone. Really, simple practical things. Be uncontactable except by a few people in emergencies. I know they sound small details, but if you're, having, if you're trying to rest and someone gets through the defenses and it's not really urgent, it just unsettles you, doesn't it? Being honest. So we've got a, Jesus got in a boat and went the other side of the lake. I mean, you can't get more inaccessible than that. 
So he didn't say, well, I'm just going to go in my, you know, and shut the door and pray to my father on, who's unseen for a little while. He knew that wouldn't work. Why? Because they'd start taking the roof off and dropping people through. Because <laughs> he'd, he'd seen them do that before. He thought, you're not getting me on that one again. Last time I was having a day off, suddenly bloke got a mat, lands in front of me, ruined the whole day. I'm off to the other side of the lake, and unless you're a flipping good swimmer or you've got a boat, you're not getting me. Now, if Jesus needed to do that, may I suggest that if we want to be planting churches by the tens and the dozens in nation after nation, we need to learn how to have a good rhythm to be as God was in terms of our um, creative ability. I found this, uh, I'll finish with this. I found this fantastic poem by a lady called Judy Brown. It's called Fire. And uh, just let me read it to you. I think it is absolutely amazing. What makes a fire burn is space between the logs, a breathing space. Too much of a good thing, too many logs, packed in too tight, can douse the flames almost as surely as a bucket of water would. So building fires requires attention to the spaces in between as much as to the wood. When we are able to build open spaces in the same way we have learned to pile on the logs, then we can come to see how it is fuel and the absence of fuel together that makes fire possible. We only need to lay a log lightly from time to time And a fire grows simply because the space is there, with openings in which the flame that knows just how it wants to burn can find its way. I think that is a brilliant poem, because the point she's making in simple terms is this. If you just keep piling on the wood thinking, great, let's have a great big fire, you kill the thing. The less is more principle really does work. A bit of space to let the the draft roar through and the fire goes much stronger. So that's why even as as an apostolic family, you know, I'm learning, Morris is learning, we're learning how to do this. We're learning what is a good rhythm. What is, it's more important what we, sometimes the stuff we don't do, the space we leave in the calendar the things that we don't put in place, rather than just keep piling, piling, piling stuff on. That's very difficult when, you, when things are happening everywhere. But the art of a good fire is not putting too much on all at once. Now, if you apply that back in your church plant, it's exactly the same principle as rest. There's a time when God giving space on that eighth day, who knows, and then setting it as a principle for, for all of Israel, Who knows what chaos would have ensued if God had not instituted that rhythm. It was something that allowed humanity and all that God had made to flourish and fill the earth and be fruitful and multiply. It was the the masterstroke of his creation, stopping on the last day to give space so that everything could then begin to flourish in the way he intended. So... I hope some of that has landed helpfully. Um, maybe we'd just like to stand. I think we've just got a couple of minutes and then uh, we just have a break, I think. I think that's the idea, isn't it? A half an hour break in a couple of minutes. So we will, yeah.
So, Father, I want to pray that whatever has been useful to different people in just looking at this, Lord, I do pray that, Holy Spirit, you will encourage everybody, Lord, that you've shown us how you worked, and therefore, Lord, we can learn from you. We, we, we're yoked together with you, Jesus. And just as you said, I only do what the Father, I see the Father doing. We want to learn how to do that better. We want to be those who just work in these unforced rhythms of grace that help us to enjoy the journey, help us to not try and solve everything too quickly, not try and do everything too quickly, but just learn from you, Lord, first the natural, then the spiritual. I do pray, Lord, that if there's any folk here who felt they've been kind of cornered and pressured by other people's expectations, and I do actually feel that sometimes it's other people's expectations that press in on us and pull us out of shape. Lord, lift that off anyone who that applies to this afternoon. Lord, the only expectations we want to live under are yours. We don't even want to live under our own expectations or other expectations that family or our history have put on us. Anyone who said anything to us that's made us be pulled out of shape into a stressed, work-based, um, doing-based sense of needing to do stuff in order to be worth anything, break that, Lord, this afternoon, so that we know that we are just following in your footsteps, free from other people's unhelpful words and unhelpful expectations. Jesus, we want to walk in the same relaxed way fruitfulness in relaxation seems a contradiction to us, Lord, but that's what you did, Lord Jesus. Yes, great courage, great sacrifice, great cost, great pain, but Lord Jesus, you knew how to do what your Father was showing you. And we ask you, take us and teach us in the same way so that we can learn from you. We can learn from you. Lord, you've got, you've got global reach for us in this room as part of all the other families on the earth, we're, we're only one of the families, Lord, but we have a significant part to play. There is a field you've assigned to us, Lord, and I believe it touches the globe. And I ask you, Jesus, to put within us these things now so that we learn to run for 10, 20, 30 years of fruitful ministry. And I pray there won't be any casualties of burnout among us, but that we will learn. I pray there will be no marriages that are sacrificed on the altar of a church plant. We pray there will be no families that are sacrificed unnecessarily through bad choices and unwise living. Lord, make us actually attractive to the very people we're trying to reach. When they look at our lives, they say, man, I don't know how you do life, but it looks a lot of fun to me. Lord, I pray that we would become a great advert for you so that, Lord Jesus, somehow we might reflect in some way the image of God that you created to be in us in the terms of how we, how we lived and work on the earth. We ask you to do that. We don't find it easy, Lord, but we want you to, we want you to help us to help each other as well, Lord. There's, we can learn from each other. So across this family, Lord, help us to hold each other to account, help us to be kind to each other, help us to be tender to each other, but help us sometimes, Lord, to be honestly true to each other when we, when we want to protect each other. We need you to help us, Lord, do this so that we all make it fruitfully together and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.